So, last week, uh, Zoe shared about covenant in the Bible and in the Old Testament and and walked us through that. And then I talked about a specific covenant that was given uh, in Exodus with the people of Israel. So I'm just going to do a quick summary, really, of what we talked about last week. So there are these. So covenants. Are, there are quite a lot of covenants in the Bible, but there are not that many between God and people. Uh, and and a, and a covenant is an agreement between parties. And as uh, Zoe said, with covenants with God, really, He is the uh, the the author of the covenant and the completer of it right he initiates and we just go oh well that's great we'll do that we're not equal parties in those those covenants because we're not equal with god uh, and there are there are four arguably four main covenants there are talk there's talk about other ones in the bible with noah with abraham with the people of israel and with david and one of the things that you see in exodus we talked about this last week right even as God, uh, Moses was up the mountain with God having the covenant dictated to him and writing it down or you know, being carved into those stone tablets the people of Israel were breaking it as it was being written and we see that cycle again and again throughout the Old Testament where people fall short and there's a, there's a great little scripture in Romans that says all have fallen short of the glory of the Lord so we cannot compare and, and, and our brokenness, our fallenness affects our ability to live in these covenant relationships and you see this cycle where we're close to God or the people of Israel right so in, in, in the Old Testament the people of Israel are close to God and then they, they get sidetracked fall into and, and kind of get idolatrous and then they start to fall into sin, and then they they uh, reap the consequences of that sin and cry out to the Lord. Some of them cry out to the Lord, and God sends a savior, and that brings them back close to the Lord and back into being the people of the covenant, the people of the promise. So, and I finished up last week really asking whether or not that cycle can be broken is there a way out or are we in this perpetual cycle where we keep going we might have these moments and then fall away now if we just think about the requirements for a covenant it's a you know it's an agreement between parties and for parties to agree they have to be roughly equal there's this uh, otherwise it's um, they just you know as, as Zoe said if they're not equal then really the covenant is made and we just go well are we going to abide by it or not so for, for the actual covenant agreement to happen the parties have to be equal now if we're going to if there's going to be a covenant with God what does equality with God look like so what is God? God is holy. Right? That means perfect. Who's perfect here? <laughs> 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 
Well, Jude also put his hand up. <laughs> uh, unchanging. God is unchanging. He is eternal, omnipotent. Uh, he, he has these attributes. He is, he's, I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He exists outside of time, outside of the universe. So uh, I don't think, even if we might uh, have uh, delusions of perfection, um, sorry, Susan and Jude, uh, we aren't outside of time and we aren't outside of space and we aren't the creators of the universe and we aren't all-powerful and all-knowing and present everywhere and all these other things. I think often, uh, I, I bought Zoe a book for her, her birthday, which is about the, uh, the attributes of God, so about his unchangingness and all that, and I'm probably going to steal it off her once she's finished reading it so I can have a read. I think, you know, we have this personal relationship with God through Jesus, and that's incredible. And it's very easy for us to focus on that all the time and lose sight of the fact that God is the creator of the universe. He is, he is he's more powerful than we can imagine, more greater, vaster. You know, he's, he's so much more, and he's sovereign over everything. And, and we have to hold these things in tension, right? We have this relationship, but he's also, in, in a very real sense, other than us in a way that we cannot compare to. So who among all, community, all humanity can measure up to that, to form a covenant between God and humans. Here is where there would be a pretty picture of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Jesus. Jesus is, I mean, the, the gospel stories fascinate me when you read them because Jesus came to the people of Israel in a time when they were ready for the new covenant. So the, the, in the Hebrew scriptures that he, under, he knew and understood and his contemporaries did, there was this talk of this new covenant. It's only actually called a new covenant in Jeremiah, but there's so many other parts of the prophecies that talk about this new way that God is going to interact with his people, this new and eternal kingdom of God. And, and there was this powerful expectation that that was going to happen. And if we look at Exodus, you can, you can argue that, and, and the people of Israel at the time were looking back at events like ex Exodus and going, God did it once, he can do it again. In many ways, Exodus was a political salvation and a spiritual one. But, but God broke down the power of Egypt so that the people of Israel who were enslaved could be freed. And people kind of wanted the same sort of event to happen now. They wanted the political Messiah who was going to turn up and overthrow the Romans, lead an army into Rome and overthrow the Romans. And, and the disciples wanted this. You look at what they talked about and, how they, and the, the questions they had of Jesus. They were wanting that to happen. That's what everyone expected. But Jesus was walking a different path. Jesus knew that there was this new covenant that had to be agreed and that there was this new eternal covenant and the establishment of, of, of God's kingdom in a new profound way. He knew that. And more than that, he knew that it was his calling 
to establish that. And he walked a path no one else saw. I mean, we can look back on it now and go, it's kind of obvious, we have the benefit of hindsight. Even then, though, it's not that obvious. Uh, but and I, I can almost see the disciples and others after they'd met him, after he'd been resurrected, and, and as all the pennies dropped, going, dolt, we, we didn't get it. But, but you don't, until you've seen it, you can't see it. And, and they were like that. And I think, so this, this, this Jesus comes in, and he has this teaching of this new kingdom. And, you know, when John the Baptist, who was, I think, probably, like everyone else, hoping for this political Messiah, questioned Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, the, the, the blind see, people are healed. That's the, that's the power of the kingdom of God. Coming to break the spiritual powers, the spiritual empires, the evil empire that presides over, has presided over the world. So this, this Jesus comes and he does this and he teaches and he gathers these disciples and they're gearing up for war uh, in, in their own kind of way. And, but he's not, you know, he goes and, and then he becomes the sacrifice. Although, again, to the disciples, not, they don't see that at the time. But he goes to the cross, as was, uh, as Ran called out, right? Thank you for turning that instrument of torture into an instrument of life for us. The, he goes to the cross, and the thing is, if he stayed dead, then he just would have been another guy who did this thing. And uh, there would have been another failed attempt to free the people of Israel. And, you know, the disciples scatter because they think that's what's happened. And then on the third day, he rises and he meets Mary and then he, he's, he, he's, he sees and visits the disciples. He goes into the upper room and, and they, they have breakfast with him on the beach and and he spends 40 days teaching them and then ascends into heaven. And then we see that this man was something. He was a man, absolutely, but he was something more. He was both fully man, fully human, and fully God. If you have your Bibles with you, if you turn with me to Philippians 2, there's this wonderful passage in Philippians. It's just, it's just so beautiful, right? So, so I said, what's required for a covenant? Equal parties. Who is equal to God? And here, Paul says, he's talking about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he's equal to God. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, the name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey. Isn't that awesome? Man, it's so good. So, 
But what we're seeing here is that Paul, having met this risen Jesus, and having, that, having, having his whole world turned upside down by that, and now he's out preaching about this risen Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the inauguration of the new covenant, Paul recognizes that Jesus is equal to God. And so suddenly there's this way for this agreement to be made. Uh, and I mean, there's so much more in that that passage, but that I mean, you could spend a whole you know a whole lot of time digging into it. But but really, that's what I want to focus on: that that core to what we believe as Christians is that Jesus was both fully man, fully God, and that by His sacrifice and resurrection, that the new covenant was sealed, and that He has initiated a new covenant that creates a way for us to be the people of God. So, what is the new covenant? Uh, and it's funny because I've kind of dug through a little bit looking at this and, and Zoe pointed me at uh, Jeremiah 31. So that it's actually not called new covenant very much in the New Testament. I think this might be the only place where, they, where someone specifically talks about a new covenant. But, if you look at the prophecies of Ezekiel and you look at uh, Isaiah and, and, and all of these, there's absolutely this new agreement, this new kingdom that is coming and this new king that is coming. So in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. It will not be like the old covenant, covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of, out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. Wow. I can just imagine being a Jew, hearing that or reading that at the time, going, wow, that would be amazing. What does that look like? And you can see how in Jesus' time, people would have been looking at scriptures like this. going, Wow, what is this new covenant? How does it work? And how does how, how does this how does this operate? But the thing you see in here, who's acting? It's God. I will make a new covenant. I will forgive their sins. I will put my law in their hearts, in their minds, and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Wow. So I think that Jesus knew he was called to be the fulfillment or or the, 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 the initiator and the fulfillment of this scripture 
and many others. And if you go through and you look, I mean, the Old Testament is just so filled with the promise, the promise that God has for this new kingdom. It's just, it's, it's, it's so good. So, so if, if I haven't made it really obvious, right, who are the parties to the new covenant? There's God, right? God in that, God is acting. I will uh, write my law on their hearts and minds and hearts. But a covenant is agreement, an agreement between people. So who is God agreeing his covenant with? He's agreeing it with Jesus, the Son, God the Father and the Son. So I had this fancy little thing on PowerPoint up here, which you're just going to have to imagine, right? So we've got God the Father here, and he makes an agreement with uh, God the Son, with Jesus, who makes an agreement back with him. Right? There's this flow here. That is the covenant. It is an agreement between God the Father and God the Son. Because they are the parties to that. So, so, so what does that mean for us? Where are we in that? Well, we're not actually in that covenant in, this, in the sense that we are not parties to that covenant. As Zoe said last week, God initiates and directs and fulfills these things we have a choice to make about whether or not we want to benefit from them. So we, in our sinfulness as broken people, have a choice to make about whether, whether we will hand our fallenness, our brokenness, our pride, our self-assurance, our, 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 our selfishness, our rebellion, and all of those things, over to Jesus. That's what he says, right? Give those things to me, and in return, I will, you will become a beneficiary of this covenant. You will become an inheritor of this covenant. We are co-inheritors with Christ. If we are in Christ, we inherit with him. We inherit the benefit of the covenant with him. It's just, it's ludicrous, really. I mean, on one level, you're like, who makes an agreement like that? But, but man, boy, we benefit from that. Because God loves the world that he made and the people that he made so much that he's going to take our brokenness on himself so that we can be in relationship with him. It's, it's staggering. And I don't care what anyone else says about any other religion. There are, there are none that do that. Where God takes upon the weakness of the people and is their strength for them so that they may be saved man our place is just to be humble and go man I, God I can't control my life I don't have it all together but you do so I'm, I'm going to give it over to you if we look at John chapter 17 uh, verses 1 to 5 so I kind of one of the things that interests me in a, in a kind of geeky way right if you look at the old testament you can see the agreements that were made in the books of the law right so in, in exodus there's all this stuff about what the covenant is and then there's the there's deuteronomy and there's you know here are all the, the statutes of the covenant here's all the stuff that's been agreed and but we don't see that with this new covenant we're not actually privy to the fine print as it were 
But what we do see, I think, is the moment of agreement. In John 17, in the garden on another mountain, Jesus looks heavenward and prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this eternal life, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before, with you before the world began. Jesus, is, Jesus here is agreeing something with God. He's making an agreement. He knows what's coming. Right? He, uh, he, even if he wasn't fully man and fully God, I think he could see what was coming. Right At that point, it was pretty clear. Um, but he, he knows what's coming, and he, he's making this agreement. And if you look in the Exodus, they, the people of Israel agreed the covenant, and then the sacrifice happened. So there's this moment in the garden where Jesus signs up. Right? In, 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 in a, almost, I almost see this as a formal kind of thing because you, you look at the exchange here. I did the work you have asked me to do. Now, in a sense, give me the reward you promised to give. I did what you asked. I have fulfilled the covenant. Let it come to pass, all the promise of that covenant. And it's beautiful. I've never read it. I've never seen that in it before. But when I was reading through it, I was just like, "There's this thing here where, this, where he he just takes it for us." I mean, yes, he really does in the coming chapters. But this is there's this moment here of agreement. Not my will be done, but yours be done. As he says, as he's uh, quoted in the other gospels. So, so this is. It's just it's 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 staggering to me. So if we have a look in Matthew twenty six, so Matthew twenty six, we it's got these all these different headings in my Bible, right? So the plot against Jesus, Jesus is anointed at Bethany, Jesus agrees, Judas agrees to betray Jesus, the Last Supper, and Jesus in Gethsemane getting arrested and being tried. And Peter disowning him. All a whole bunch of stuff goes on, right? But I want to focus on a couple of bits of it. And the Last Supper, right? So the seal. So how 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 is the covenant of the, between God and the people of Israel sealed? If you go back to Exodus twenty-four, they sacrificed bulls and they sprinkled the blood on the people. That the sacrifice was the seal. And then Moses went up the hill to write it all down and bring it back. And so here in verse 30, sorry, I'm, I'm a bit ahead of myself. So in Gethsemane, in verse 30, Jesus says, look at my, 33, sorry, wrote the stuff down wrong. He goes and, and, and he goes to pray. 
Okay, I really wrote it down wrong. Verse 39, 39, okay. My printout, the printer started failing partway through, so I'm just like, okay. Right, 39. So, going a little farther, he fell on his, fell with his face on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returns to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch over me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing. So three times. Right, there's a sense in which three is this kind of that's the number of you know it's, it's Trinity. It's it's kind of a number of completion. I mean, it's used in, as there's a pattern to how the, that's used. And he goes away and he prays three times. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Again, he's signing up to this agreement. And uh, he signs. He, he and and as we, as we know. He then goes, he gets arrested, he gets tried in a mock trial, really. He gets beaten and tortured and whipped and spat on and you know, mocked and uh, eventually crucified and dies. And then on the third day is raised to life as the seal of the covenant, so the sacrifice. By the blood of his sacrifice we are saved as Ran uh, prophesied earlier on. And the, the, the thing about this is that there's this agreement. That, like, when I was thinking, what does this mean for us? I mean, it means so many things. But there's this agreement between God and Jesus. And if we give ourselves over to that agreement, we benefit from it. And what does that mean for us? It means rest. There's this great song called Rest by a band called the Grey Havens, one of my new favorite bands. And the, the, the chorus goes, Father, bless your name, let your kingdom come. Give me eyes, help me see and believe your son. Give me faith, let me rest in the work he's done, because the work is done. We can't save ourselves. If without Jesus, I'm not even sure there'd be a cycle. We would just be in, in, the, in the pit, really, in the mud. But with Jesus... With him making that agreement, with him initiating this new covenant and making this new place for us, all we have to do is give ourselves over to that and say, yeah, I believe it. It says in Romans, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Because you have stepped into that agreement. And you've stepped into the blessing of that agreement, rather. There's, uh, if you want to really look at the New Covenant, um, Hebrews is full of really, uh, 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 really deep kind of analysis of the old and the new, and comparing Jesus to Moses, for example. If you look in uh, Hebrews nine and ten, you can see this, right? So in Hebrews nine, the writer of Hebrews talks about the tabernacle that was built, right? So 
the next chapters in Exodus, the chapters that, or sorry, the chapters that are sort of glossed over last, uh, last week are all about the building of the tabernacle. What do you need to do? What does it look like? What's it made of? All that kind of stuff. So daily the priests would enter the outer court, but the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. So if you think about that, the majority of the people had no access to the presence of God. They have animal sacrifices to cleanse their bodies, but they can't, those animal sacrifices can't cleanse their souls. It's an external cleansing, not an internal one. The blood of the animals made it possible for the priest to enter by being externally washed, as it were, but it didn't clean their conscience. Whereas Jesus enters the heavenly tabernacle once and for all. So he not only does he not go into a tabernacle made by human hands, he goes into the heavenly tabernacle through his own divine blood. The blood of Jesus clears both outside, cleans both outside and inside. He can speak to our souls. He can write his law on our hearts and in our minds. The high priest, Christ, became the sacrifice so that we could all have access to the presence of God. It's no longer just the priest who goes in. He has made a way for us all through him to be able to, be, to bask in the presence of God. Not through our work, not through what we do. We can't, we can't do that, but through his work through his agreement and his work. As it says in John, I did the work you asked me to do. Through that work, he has, come, he has made a way for us to enter into the Lord's rest, 